Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick here to discuss everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh! pay-per-views, premium live events. <laughs> we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a very good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by the Dadleys to review AEW Dynamite, a show that was once again a bit all hour the shot, but what an incredible main event, Sige. Oh, I think all hour the shot is a little bit harsh. There was one segment that was completely reprehensible. <laughs> Irredeemably bad. I've got no idea how this company can do that main event. And that segment with Brandy yes. and goddamn Dan Lambert, it just feels like that shouldn't be possible. But I only had a bad time once. I had a boring time a couple of times. I only had a bad time once, and there was so much greatness on the show, and it was all completed with genuinely one of the best 45 minutes you'll probably ever see as a fan of professional wrestling. I couldn't be looking forward to this review more because I think All Over the Shop isn't harsh enough. I think this was a sh- I think this was a shit sandwich made with like the finest bread, but with a pile of sh- so big it probably dwarfs that that the British Bulldog bumped on in 1999. I thought this I thought this was a broadly hideous episode with maybe one of my favourite matches ever and simply one of the finest arrangements of the two best guys in the opener. Like I could not believe how much I loved the start and end versus how much I hated almost all of the middle. I was about to say, I'm, re- I'm really excited to be the filling in this dadly sandwich. And then I realised, oh, wait, am I the sh- in the sh- sandwich <laughs> yeah. in that scenario? You are. <laughs> now, well, people have decided you're Daniel Garcia, so you, that you can't be. Uh, right, let's start then, because there's lots to dive into on this show. The show opened. Uh, well, let's deal with the elephant in the room, not with Brian Kendrick versus John Moxley, with Wheeler Utah versus John Moxley. Brian Kendrick taken off the show because of... Comments resurfacing, Sage. Yeah, I'm just going to keep this short and sweet. It was uh, horrendous. Like, absolutely horrendous stuff. And I think, on legitimately, I had no idea. No idea he'd said this in the past. And I think one of the reasons why I was so wrong-footed, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I think a lot of people are really wrong-footed is because everyone has genuinely cherished memories of the Kendrick and London shoot interview, where even before CM Punk cut the Pipe Bomb promo, 
they were the, generally the first two guys who were like, the culture in WWE is legitimately evil. <laughs> the schedule is barbaric. The value system within that company is horrendous. Wrestlers Court is this... They basically burned the bridge. I know Kendrick went back to it, but that's what wrestling is. It's this thing where you can't burn any bridges, really. And I think they developed so much currency from that that's like everyone just kind of enjoyed Kendrick as, oh, he likes alien stuff and he's a bit out there. Yeah. But, you know, he's he must be a decent guy because look what he thinks of the horrendous practice of Wrestlers Court and everything else they talked about in that shoot interview. Absolutely reprehensible stuff. I was a little bit saddened. I was completely shocked. And I was completely on board with the idea of get that guy away from this promotion that I genuinely enjoy watching. Before we move on, or before Hamlet gives us take, whichever, I know that there's going to be a small minority of idiots on every corner of the internet with their amplified voices. But it staggers me that there's more than a handful mm. that you can see in the cool tweets, you can see in the replies, who are like, oh yeah, he said it 10 years ago, so you might be a better guy now. What are you missing out on here? I know you love your thing. I know this thing is part of your identity, and you might be more troubled than I'm aware, so maybe you're taking this pop culture that you like way too seriously. Even if you're that kind of person who's madly overzealous about the thing that you like, what, what are you missing out on? It's an eight-minute TV match that people might be, oh, they shouldn't be doing this because Kendrick said some absolutely reprehensible stuff. Oh, you can't say that. You're ruining my eight-minute TV match that I've been looking forward to for all of a day. Like, oh, hey, like, come on. A, a match that, whilst you know, great with Wheeler Uter and probably no doubt would have been great with Brian Kendrick, is forgotten pretty, pretty quickly because of what happened afterwards, which was earth-shattering. If you can't handle the thought of an eight-minute one-off television match with no build and you're worried about people saying nasty things about the people in it, and you're worried that's going to ruin the the integrity of AEW or like the thing that you like people being mean about it, like touch grass. <laughs> it's touch a, grass. It's a, I think there's two things for me here. Sidgwick's very articulately covered all of the details of, the, of what Kendrick said and why the right decision was absolutely made. I'm, I didn't see any of that conversation, but I'm, I was, was going to say I'm surprised it happened. I'm not. Uh, yeah, but I'm amazed as the... I might the, be overstating it. But I'm amazed fair. that there's an extent of it in the first place. But So this was a... A case of, again, AW is still very new, and they have like limitless opportunities to do things differently, and that's so cool, right? It's so awesome that they can say at very short notice, we've assessed the situation. We're gonna, I say we like Tony Khan tweets. I've assessed the situation. It's my company, and I'm gonna make this change as a result. Like very much own this. Mm -hmm. There is a further discussion, I don't want to say wider because they're entirely different subjects, but there is a further discussion probably to be had on, well, almost every wrestler is going to have something like this, and AEW should strive for this. Like, this is a standard to set and to keep. Um, these are not comparisons, so I don't want people making false equivalencies because I don't think this was made in a tweet I saw from somebody, and I certainly don't want people thinking this is a false equivalency coming out of my mouth, but it was like... This is the company that is trying to show you that it's going to do better. But Jay Lethal was signed. But everything was quiet on allegations against the likes of Darby Allen. Like, keep doing better. You know, that was a, a good call made at a good time when there wasn't much time to play with. Uphold those standards across the board and be as consistent as you possibly can because you can be an agent for change mm. because wrestling's 
been revolting for much longer than probably all wrestlers have been revolting in a lot of ways for you know more than we're probably all willing to accept or want to believe so i hope that this is um a standard that they attempt to uphold going forward as well you like they have an opportunity to they, they've sometimes missed that but i think this was like encouraging in the in the fact that maybe in the future we're going to get more of that this if anything will invite like, if a criticism ever comes up about a wrestler, this will invite Tony Khan to react in the way he did here. He's kind of set his stall out, and that's a good stall to set out. Well, let's get to the wrestling now, then. It was John Moxley versus Wheelie, who came out alongside uh, Orange Cassidy and Danhausen, who got a huge pop again. Huge pop. He is very yeah. much over. Um, and Moxley immediately takes down Yuda uh, right away. Um, Wheeler, Yuda. <laughs> hey, but Yuda showed some fire, uh, stands up to Moxley, but Moxley just goes... Cool, nice try, kid. Beats him down on the floor, peppers him with chops inside the ring. He rakes his back, goes for the superplex. But you, uh, he's, he's, he's learned from their previous match, previous match that he's, he's got this experience now. He pushes him off, hits him with a drop kick, uh, but then Moxie on the apron hits him with a front-facing DDT. Uh, they're at ringside, and there is uh, Danhausen and Orange Cassidy. And Moxley's exchanging looks at them, which allows Yuta to recover and hit a brilliant, huge dive onto the floor. Uh, and he comes, they go back into the ring uh, and back and forth exchange. And suddenly Yuta grabs Moxley and hits him with an angle slam for a two count. He goes up on the top rope and he hits a splash. That gets a, a near fall as well. But then Moxley counters, puts him in a sleeper. Yuta does get out of it, and then he just gets twattered with the... What's the name of the lariat? King, King Kong, King Kong, Kong lariat. I thought so. Ground and pound, and just a huge paradigm shift for the victory. This isn't the match that will get five stars, because five star, like the, the, the star rating system, which I like, it's just a nice thing to discuss with your pals and on in the online wrestling sphere. This isn't remotely the kind of match that will get five stars. Five stars is re- reserved for plus 15 minutes, main event position, stars, all the rest of it. As a TV match... This was a five-star TV match for the dynamic, for the story that's being told, for what you should accomplish in a TV match because Wheeler Utah looked incredible in this match. The balance of the offense, what was given, what was dished out, the way it was built was incredible. Like, I'm going to repeat a few tweets. The mega fans will forgive oh, me yeah. because when you get things on telly that are this great, I can't help but tweet them mm. because you get jazzed. This match made me jazzed. Like... John Moxley's so great at just slowly measuring how hard he hits you throughout. And by doing that, he allows someone who way further down the tier list, if you like, to get over, to do some breakthrough stuff, to get some shine. And then he clatters them in the ear with an open palm slap (laughs) that looks like it hurts so goddamn much. This is possibly the most 36-year-old white podcaster thing I've ever said in my life, right? But... um, it's a motion picture that came out, I think, in 1999. You've seen this? You heard about this? <laughs> Fight Club? <laughs> Fight Club? You know that scene where he punches them in the ear? Yeah. He yes. goes, oh, my God, you've hit me in the ear. And it looks so much worse than a harder punch or a knockout punch to the jaw. Yeah. Like, when Moxley does that slap, it's like, I feel it. Like it and he does it after he's been, like, outwitted on the mat or someone's given him a real challenge. He's, he's an incredible TV wrestler, John Moxley. This match was so great that I thought... Give him the TNT title. I want Danielson to have it for this reason, but mm. he could do this kind of thing every single week with the TNT title. One last thing, and this is definitely something that someone could say on Twitter, hey, goddamn reaching, bro. That's a reach, bro. 
Has John Moxley, right, been so clever to introduce a new spot, which in itself is brilliant between moves, no one's taking a bump, where he scratches and claws at the back, right? As he thought, I'm working Brian Danielson next, the guy whose body sells pain and marks more mm. than any other wrestler ever. Has he decided, I'm facing him next? Let's build something that's going to make him just look horrible after I've been after I'm done with him. You could write mocks in his back with his that's nails. The thing. Like, even L- if like it looks on the back of his jacket. Yeah. Even if he's not done this ahead of, oh, I've got the palest guy who marks easily next on pay-per-view. It's still an amazing spot because he's not hurting people. He's not bumping people. He's not risking injury mm. on people. He's You'll just get enough mincemeat backs there. Yeah, he's yeah. just doing something that looks like it really hurts and it's like a surface thing that will go away in a daze. It's the closest I come to Brian Danielson. Oh, yeah, cool. My skin shows bruises and marks really <laughs> easy as well. That's it. Can I, can I just shock you here, Michael Sidgwick? I'm going to hold my hands up and apologise here. I came into work this morning and went, eh, I'm not really... Like, I, I, do you know what it was? I woke up, a bit tired. It's the first match. I'm bleary-eyed. I watch it. It's on double speed. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Yeah, he wins. You know, that's what that's that sort of thing. And I, I was, that was my fault because um, I rewatched it again, and I take it all back. I came in and went, oh, I thought you had gotten a bit of, you know. It was like, yeah, it's fine as an opener. It's a Moxley match, you know. Yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's not where he was. And I've seen him tell this story with, you know, the tightest second, tightest tits in the game, uh, you know, Ethan Page. But I thought, oh, maybe Wheeler, you've got too much offense in. I rewatched it. I was completely wrong. I'll hold my hands up to it. What do you make of it, Hamlet? I'm glad uh, Cedric mentioned Fight Club because I think we can all agree Fight Club is a good and important movie. Sorry, I'll just take 2000, uh, year 2000 Michael Hamlet out of the conversation, bring it back to 2022. <laughs> um, it's a piece of trash. Uh, no, I want to talk about acting. Uh, we are critical of a lot of the acting in wrestling, and we often have a bit of a laugh at those that only watch wrestling and don't watch films, better films than Fight Club and, uh, and good TV show. When there they, is Alexa Bliss. When they Oscar see Alexa Bliss. TV work, Michael <laughs> as you often point out. And I love how like, some of the like the like rampant misogyny that just exists among the fan base. She should definitely win Best Supporting Actress. Like it's the, a bait. It's not Oscar bait. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about good acting in wrestling. Um, Sidgwick covered all of like Moxley's awesome... And, like, very detailed in-ring stuff. Uh, compliments, by the way. Chef's kiss for the wheelie to book in. At last minute. To be able to, uh, be able to tell a different story that you were the one you plan to tell about Utah's progression while still continuing the Moxley growth was tremendous. Really, really, really great stuff. Finger on the pulse stuff. But I want to talk about Moxley's acting for a second because I want to talk about a guy who, it appears, through mine and Sidgwick's microaggressions, we might have revealed that we're not a huge fan of. Right, we're not necessarily massive fan housings, right? <laughs> John Moxley is a man that will not put up with Dan Housen's bullshit, right? And the way in which he timed to the second, go and watch this spot back. Dan Housen does the with his arms, right? Adam Cole, shock face, obviously. He Very nice. Yeah. Well, we were a curse time. That's what he says, isn't he? Your wife is a dentist. <laughs> um, does the point? Adam Cole sells big face. You, you. This is what, like, we're not denying. Mega over, yeah. right? Um, but he does that. Watch it back. Moxley, his eyes go like pinhole narrow, and he just keeps walking towards him because he knows, well, I'm getting interrupted by Utah diving from nowhere. Like, that is so perfect because John Moxley cannot sell. He cannot sanction Danhausen. He's us. He's like, we, we get to be Moxley just once, and it's here because he cannot sanction Danhausen, right? So he just keeps walking, and then Utah flies out the sky and takes him out. 
watch again the movement and the anger of John Moxley because if he stands there, even for a split second, it's like, eh, mm. not you. Not you, John. Not the guy that carried me. Like, not your broad shoulders in 2020 putting up with this, like, this Halloween bin bag monster that is super over and super cool. Like, people love Danhausen. I'm not having a go at anybody that loves Danhausen. He's not for everybody, and I'm part of that everybody. And thankfully, so is John Moxley, because his character wouldn't be great. Like, cathartic and great. Moxley's awesome. And I'm as excited to talk about the post-match as I am to eventually see Danhausen get blooded with the paradigm shift. Yes. Yeah. Great match that I immediately forgot because of the sensational stuff that happened immediately afterwards. They've been teasing this for a while, obviously. Brian Danielson gets in the ring. Oh, God, I want to buy a white T-shirt again. <laughs> uh, gets on the mic and he says, do you guys want to see us fight? And Yeah, people go, I, yeah, I quite like that. Yeah, that'd be great, actually. Uh, and he says, yeah, for a long time, I wanted to see us fight too. Uh, Moxie's different. I want to see uh, see what he's what he's had. But since you've come back, Moxley, we've seen a new version of you. Um, he said, deep inside of him, Brian, this is, uh, there's always been a part that wanted to test him. He saw John wherever, when he was, oh, he doesn't say this, but when he was over there, <laughs> uh, watching uh, as he was the world champion, and he was the best AEW world champion. Maybe if he had a little support, he'd still be AEW champion. And that is when Danielson reveals he realized that Moxley and himself shouldn't be fighting. They should be fighting together. He says there's no reason why some millennial cowboy should be champion, while some dope dressed as a dinosaur should be tag team champion, Why there should be some loser creating a vlog, basically. That's the TNT champion. Together, the two of them could run this place. If they want to be tag team champions, they can be. If they want to take some of these young guys like... Wheeler, he says, you see him, he's coming out with these jokes, OC and, and Danhausen. Uh, what if we took someone like him under our wings? Someone like Daniel Garcia, we take him away from 2.0, well, no, but, uh, <laughs> and we mentored him. What about Lee Moriarty? What if we took him under our wings? Uh, Moxley gives the camera a bit of a look, uh, like, get a load of this guy. <laughs> and Brian goes, look, hey. I know this is a lot, so you don't have to answer me now, but think about it. Think about the possibilities. Think about all the positive things, all the greatness we can create, and the legacy that you want to leave. Tells Moxley to think about it, and he leaves, and leaves my jaw on the floor, Michael Hamflet. In the opening segment of your favourite wrestling show of this week, Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw. <laughs> I saw something that I couldn't get my head around, and then I realized, oh, it's because they're copying the notes of the promotion that knows how to do this. Um, because Brian Danielson generated this enormous babyface reaction, spoke in, like, earnestly putting over three of this company's hottest prospects like he was the biggest babyface in the world and was an enormous c <laughs> Not on their best day, could they achieve that with Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, MVP, whatever? All the all the garbage that they throw in the ring and try and make you understand and comprehend. This is how you do it. You've got to have a re you've got to have wrestlers that people feel so passionately for that they can see the motivations transparent as they are, and yet sort of want the thing that the more villainous character is pitching. He made you want. <laughs> Danielson and Moxley's, like, house of legends, this, this <laughs> new group, so much that you were able to say, well, I'm going to park 
that he's been a complete bastard and he's trying to like lure like my guy into a false sense of security because I want a bit of that first. Like what an economical promo this was for how it got over so many people, for how it got over Brian's like distaste for Hangman Page, for um, Sammy Guevara, for Luchasaurus, and for not just for them specifically, but for an overriding area of AEW that he doesn't really like, a certain nice corner of this company that he doesn't really care for, that he doesn't have time for, that really John Moxley, before he left, wasn't having much time for either. Brian's playing into that super like psychological masterclass from Brian, but then trying to babyface the whole thing with the pitch of, his, of this dojo that he's imagining and naming names. And when they name names in AEW, that always means something. They're either going to be wrestlers that Brian, when this all goes wrong, that Brian brutalizes, or you're going to see one week where Brian's holding a little class. The Thatcher's Thatch can, but good. Yes. Where like they come in and they sit with him and he's teaching holes and they're doing rolls. And then the camera cuts to the side and mocks this sort of lean against the wall thing. Oh, Christ, all right, I'll just let me show you the bulldog choke. And he's, he's kind of like passively invested in the whole thing. Amazing, absolutely amazing. The pitch was great. The match that it is building to, it's still right there. They've just somehow ever so slightly shifted it to the background for a few weeks. Brilliant. Brian Danielson in this promo asked me if I wanted Brian Danielson versus John Moxley at Revolution. Brian Danielson and John Moxley tearing through the tag team ranks. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston versus Brian, Brian Danielson and da- Daniel Garcia. Uh, Brian Danielson doing a dojo where they all look in the same kit. Berg, <laughs> the Burgundy first kit. Yeah. The, the Brian white. Danielson Wrestling Academy, like the Sean one. Yeah. The white shirt with the... In the white away kit, which dissolves over time as all stables do, and then you get Danielson versus Garcia at like double or nothing 2024. <laughs> right? And my answer to all of that was yes. <laughs> like all of... Like, what a world of Danielson page three. Yeah. Like... <laughs> There's two more things I loved about this. One, they've ran variations of recruitment angles one million times. It's already the best one, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> why would you not want to do what he's doing? Like, why would you not fall under that guy's spell? Because it's the most convincing... I'd do it if he offered me just a white T-shirt. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the most convincing pitch, which the recruitment angle, which is a weird thing, but it's mostly good. Mm. But you have to be a convincing pitch artist. And Danielson, of course he is. And another thing, right, is that this guy, since this is like LTST isn't, we're going to cut promos on each other in an opening segment for three months. We're going to do two matches, both of which end in a DQ, and then we're going to have a third match, right? That's what people think long-term storytelling is. No, long-term storytelling can simply be an arc on which you follow one character. Since day goddamn one, Daniel like, I want that. I'm the, I'm the best. <laughs> I want that goddamn title. So he's had the match with Omega. Didn't happen for him. Then he beats Miro in the tournament final. It's like, right, I'm on page. I still want that. I'm going to take it off you. He doesn't quite manage it. Loses nothing of his aura, but he doesn't win the title. And then as soon as that's finished, I still want that. <laughs> Me and you can help each other get that. I've been wanting that since day one. Just the continuity is bloody goddamn great. The uh, the tacit negging of Chris Jericho. So he said, oh, Moxley, the best AW champion. We know that he's taking Kenny to the limit. We know of what we see when I have on page. Never done anything with Chris Jericho. Just respect <laughs> him. Just respect him. Right? He just doesn't hold him in high enough regard. I just can't wait for this to unfold as well. Yeah. It's just great episodic TV. I cannot wait to see how this goes. Uh, yes, brilliant stuff, this. Uh, followed by a, an excellent video package hyping up CM Punk versus MJF for the main event of the evening. And then the wheels fell for this goddamn <laughs> show. Brandy Rhodes is in the ring. A divisive figure, let's just say. 
And, oh, well, I'll just talk about it because I'm desperate to know what you two made of all this. She says uh, she loves it here. Everyone's so nice in Cleveland. Oh, oh, Chicago, whatever, same thing. Out comes Dan Lambert, apparently, to shut her up. Uh, I don't know who I'm supposed to be supporting in this segment, but regardless, uh, he, he says she started believing her own BS, basically. Uh, they may have given her a reality show, uh, but she needs a reality check. Um, she can pretend that Cody earned his spot. She can pretend that Chief Brand Officer is a real title and not just give it something given to her to you know, please her, basically. You can even pretend that her... Brandy from the block, BS accent isn't as fake as her. Anyway, um, what you can't pretend um, is that even standing next to Dan Lambert, she makes him look like a decent human being. Um, Brandy fires back that the only reason they hired Ethan Page was to get to Josh Alexander. The one halfway decent bit of this goddamn promo, just because I'm not going to say anything nice about it when you're finished. I mean, but like almost too good a burn. Yeah. Like Ethan Page is not so established and rock solid in AEW that you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, suddenly I want to visualize what Josh Alexander would do instead. <laughs> That's like I mean, less I like, than ideal. I, I like Ethan Page a lot as well, but yeah. yeah. Uh, but she says, no, let's, let's keep it between me and you, Dan. Why have we got. Why have we got beef? We should, we should get to know each other. You're doing well. You're five-time gym of the year. Most champions on his team in history. American top team. There's an shut up chant. I'll put it nicely. A shut up chant at this point. She says, oh, are you done, crowd? Uh, you know, things are going pretty good for you, but just, just not great, you know. Probably not great having your best fighter getting his ass knocked out by Jake Paul. Um, she talks a little bit about Amanda Nunes losing the world title. Um, which I'm the only did, one in this room aware I was going to say, did she? Because I didn't get all of that. She just or went Amanda Nunes, and I went, ah, oh, I understood that reference. So this is like those times where they go like, ah, football stuff. <laughs> they all go, huh? I was like, oh, yeah, Amanda Nunes lost the world title. I remember that at the end of last year, but you haven't told that to anyone else who doesn't watch <laughs> MMA as devotely as I do. Um, she says, anyway, you, as a result of that, you should spend a little less time here in AEW, maybe a little bit more time working on American Top Team. Uh, and Lambert says, wow, all that charm, all that quick wit as well. Cody's a lucky man. Um, don't you think, though, it's time you all kind of go heel? Because the only face turn you've ever done is the one from your old job where you got turned face down. And he slaps the taste out of his mouth. And he says, I, you know, I had a feeling you were in a bit of a fighting mood. Um, and I'm not the only one who, who wants to beat your ass. I've got some things to do in here before I get cancelled. Um, so I've got a better idea. And this is where the segment picked up, because out comes Paige Van Zandt. She's back. Brilliant to see her back in AEW. She's one of the few shining lights, in, in, in our opinion, I think it's fair to say, in that uh, American top team in a circle feud. She comes down, attacks Brandy, and they have a big pull-apart brawl. Oh, over to you, Sige. Hospital pass or what? What was this? What on earth was this? Not only was it... This might be up there with the stupidest things this promotion has ever done. Like, and I'm not even Apart kidding. the first one, you've done it again! <laughs> <laughs> like, I, honestly, to this day... Do it anyway. <laughs> to this day, I will defend to the death the pitch behind the Dark Order, right? Initially, before, yes. before Mr. Brody Lee made it amazing, right? The idea was, right, wins and losses matter in this company. There are losers in this company who are made to feel like losers. There's also a cult in this company. I didn't think it was, like, Good, <laughs> but I thought it was well thought out. Yes, they were going to prey upon the losers because they lose and losers losses matter, and then 
they are going to grow in number and take over. It's very hokey. So Daniel's botch was nice. You're getting old. You can't go anymore. Yeah. Come into our warm cuddle. That, yes. Like that was there was the teasers of those kind of things being added, wasn't there? Like that. Yes. There was a decent idea that made sense within the actual framework of the company in the dark order. The execution was pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> they killed the they killed the star power of the elite in kind of one night. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very very hokey idea. The, d- the darkest point, arguably, of AEW's short history. This is worse. This yeah. is worse because at least there was a kernel of logic in something that they could theoretically build loads of matches from. They had. Oh, the elite. Maybe we're not very good at this American team. Baddies and goodies. There was baddies the raw complaint. There was at least baddies and goodies in that. A pathway to a redemption. God, that word is almost as bad as like 50-50 redemption (laughs) angle. Johnny Gargano for that. Uh, Can't wait to see you, pal. But you know what I mean? There was an idea behind it. It was just executed horribly. And it wasn't the best idea for this promotion. This, what was the, uh, what was this? How do you turn Dan Lambert heel when he's uh, face when he's essentially playing Jim Cornette, fictionalized, and that's everything this fan base used to hate. That fan base is changing, and I don't like it, by the way. Mm. And he's cornering Lance Archer, yeah, in the world title match next week. So who's the baby face? Who's the heel? I tell you what, it wasn't just stupid. The verbiage wasn't so lame and so ugly mm. and slut shaming and like I don't even want to touch. I don't even want to touch what Lambert said about his um, analysis of Brandy's blackness. I'm not touching that at all. No. At all. I can't. I'm a white 36-year-old. I can't do that. Like, there's a pretty... I was just... Genuinely, I found this, like, unsettling and uncomfortable. There's a bit of a not-on reason why a lot of these fans, or some of these fans, sorry, don't like Brandy Rhodes, and they're playing into it. This is horrible. This is possibly the worst I've ever felt watching an AEW prom, uh, product. There's always, I, I don't like. This is probably going to get lost. I don't mean it to. I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with what I felt was a slightly ugly streak that has like ran through AEW, but it was always relatively minimised. And I think in keeping with a bit of a move from the fan base too, it's almost been permitted to, to grow. Through the Dan Lambert character, through marginalizing um, the women's division, marginalizing the women's division through um, the nature of these segments with Brandy Rhodes to a lesser extent, because I don't think he means to, through some of the wacky stuff in the Codyverse, because this is adjacent to the Code. It is, isn't it? You know, like, uh, and it's growing larger, mm. and this was this was the biggest exhibition of that. Um, you know, it used to, we could trivialize it once upon a time. Uh, the dude bro energy in AEW needs like dampening a little bit, but that's. That feels quaint compared to that. Like the Indian Circle was starting to feel quaint compared to this segment. It felt ugly, it felt off. And that's like, that's coming at it from the point of view of reading between the lines and, and in some cases listening to the lines, you know. But aside from that, yeah, let's try and analyze this as wrestling podcasters. Uh, a segment of Who Do You Hate the Least is risible WWE trash that doesn't belong on the good wrestling show, for one. Um, Heel, and this is not, none of this is by accident. Like, Brandy Rhodes comes out and does the Cleveland bit, right? Like, you might roll your eyes at the line, but to piggyback off a great point Cedric made about Ronda Rousey's rookie run never getting the same respect as Kurt Angle's because fundamentally misogyny rules wrestling. If MJF or somebody else does that, that gets a bit of a pop. Nah, Cleveland, you know, like a a bit of like a lame heel trick. 
Brandy did it because she's the heel. She doesn't come out and do that because she expects to get cheered and then gets booed by, why are they booing? Why are they booing a Rhodes? It was like, right, the heel. Then another heel comes out. And then here comes Paige Van Zandt, a heel, to beat up a heel in a pull apart featuring nothing but heels. Like, it's impossible to like anybody. And where does this spin off to, right? If it's not, let's say, like, they're not going to have an agenda match, they're going to have a mixed tag, right? So you're going to do Brandy and Paige, sorry, Brandy and Cody versus, like, let's say Dan Lambert and Paige Van Zandt or one of the American, top, whatever. That's yeah. your mixed tag, yeah. isn't it, right? Yeah. Because it's Cody. It's another heel because regardless of what he says and what he does, he's booed and that's a shtick now. And like, there's, a, there's some fun to be had there, we think, with the Cody now. But you drag him into this, you get more heels. Baddies, baddies everywhere and not even likeable ones. It, like, that's a great point because this is an ugly mess that's going to get even uglier and even messier. Yeah, I, like, miserable and like, vibes. AEW's always about vibes. Bad vibes on this dynamite that, in my opinion, weren't rescued until the main event. Baffling for me, this. I like. Uh, I took a break off watching wrestling over Christmas, and then when I came back, people were like, "You need to see this segment with Dan Lambert and Brandy Rhodes." And I watched it, and I thought, "Wow, that was certainly something." <laughs> but there's a bit of me that thinks maybe they've gone. You know what? It wasn't. I don't. I don't think it was a good idea. But we roll the dice. It's Christmas. If there's any, ever a time to test things out, it's in this weird lull where, yes, I know we're building to, you know, the big shows to start the year off, but, you know, maybe no one's completely got their, you know, the, the discourse isn't as strong as it normally is week in, week out sort of thing. But the fact they did that and went, save that for when we come back. <laughs> like, I just was astonished, Sige. It's uh, mostly, like, through various things, like the best friends wins when they get them. The whole Hangman Page stuff, like, there's loads of elements of wholesomeness to AEW, and I understand very well that too much of that, I don't want to go full body Ray, but you know what I mean? It's just like, it can't be too wholesome, it can't be too smug. Mm. There's an element of AEW that likes a weird party. Mm. And I never liked it when the party got weird and skeevy and all of this, like, I don't like this at all. Just, I, I hate to, to hark on about it, because I know some people don't like when we even mention it, but... Like, the language that they used, we, I thought we dealt with this in the American top team. Like, like you say, he says these, you know, awful lines about Brandy. And I'm still sat there going, boo? Boo, I think? But then she's come out and pissed everyone else? I just, I don't know they, what this is trying to achieve other than setting up, you know... I'm very happy to see Paige Van Zandt back in AEW. Not scripted, you know, but it's AEW, bullet points and all that. They greenlit and presumably, like, thought about the turn-taking, like, thought about the detail of the lines enough to take the turns and, like, make sure the lines resonated as they wanted them to. They basically wanted him to say all the things he said and say, and I'm the face here, which, as we've seen through extremely controversial political figures in very recent memory getting the most powerful seat in the fucking world like is a very very dangerous move because it, it all it takes is the one normalization of one of those otherwise pretty criminal lines and sure enough it becomes normal that's how normalization works you know one guy got all the way into the white house with it yeah and like i know that probably sounds like a needless comparison but that's what happened here with lambert he says all this hideous stuff that warrants let's be honest cody rose just coming out and decking him yes and that's the payoff Right? No. What he does is he says all that and be like, and I'm still better than you. What a disaster. Can I say, though, uh, if there's anything that's going to make me cheer Brandy Rose and Cody and boo Dan Lambert, it is anyone ever saying, 
Literally, Brandy Rhodes could have got on that mic and gone, Pat Wilkins cooking is bad. And I'd have gone, right, you've really crossed the line there. No one says bad words about my mum and her cooking. <laughs> but anyone who says, oh, I better do this before I get uh, cancelled, I hate with every mm. fibre of my being. It's a baby face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turn Jim Corner, baby face. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Anyway, <laughs> and there's a very- Thank goodness, Matt Hardy in the <laughs> Matt Hardy's on the staircase again. <laughs> Honestly, did you I... see his tweet? No. Yes. It really wasn't bad at all yet. What did he say? It's good part. Someone said, why is Matt Hardy always in a stairwell? <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, this is pretty good. Matt Hardy was like, thank you for noticing. A stairwell is an incredible place to do business. Um, until we reveal a plan. Something to the effect yes. of, there's no one present. The only things I want recorded are the invited um, cameras. Mm-hmm. And there's loads of privacy. No one hangs around in there. It's a good place to conduct business. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> so in his head, he thinks he's been doing all LTST. this business. It's LTST. <laughs> long, long term. to my office. Long-term stairwell telling. <laughs> yes. I didn't hate it. I mean, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, though. It's the family guy. Matt, Matt and the AHFO. Did you become not the worst thing on this show? <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Here's Matt Hardy and Andrade to fix things. 
So yes, they are Jack's notes in a stairwell. Uh, and Matt is talking to Private Party. He's upset with them for losing the, the tag team title match on Rampage. You know, he wants a title. He, here comes Andrade. Matt says he's embarrassed. He's angry. But inexplicably, Isaiah Cassidy's now the number one contender of the TNT Championship. He's taking on Sammy Guevara. Um, uh, and Andrade says, don't want any mistakes. Uh, Isaiah Cassidy says, you know, I'm going to take Sammy's title. Maybe I'm going to take his girl too. Uh, and Matt's finding out this day is with Darby. And Andrade's like, well, you know what this business is like. He wants more money. Money's both useless. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But again, not as bad as the previous segment, Amplet. I am... Um this this is very NXT 2.0, but I am getting some enjoyment out of how charmingly thick, stupid, and obnoxious Andrade is. And but not in the like this is you know we could do the Andrade predictor. What's he going to say about trying to buy Darby Allen this week? I saw the tweet. I wish you could remember. Just do the match I'm at Revolution. Find it, find it, you know the such a good tweet, tweet yeah. I'm referencing. Please find who said it. Somebody said it's going to be so funny if thick old Andrade buys Danhausen thinking he's got <laughs> Darby. Right, like the JJ Williams, regular contributor. Thank you, JJ. Really great take. He's the editor of Wrestling Observer News. Oh, no, yeah, he regularly contributes with good taste. <laughs> <laughs> like really funny, great take. Um, because <laughs> but you do that when you're kind of taking the piss out of the show and the characters for being rubbish. You're like, yeah, find some fun with this thing that's otherwise going off a cliff. We do it with NXT every single week. So I'm praising it, but I'm praising it through that lens. Mm. The rest of it, I have nothing to praise because it's bland, lazy crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, impossible to feel if the title match they're suggesting is like, oh, I'm going to steal your girl. Like, you're not. You're not going to steal his girl. You're not going to steal his belt. You're going to waste my fucking time. <laughs> I mean, there was one Matt Hardy's calling his own guys losers. Like, as well, just... <laughs> Matt Hardy, before saying that he'd selected someone to fight on behalf of the AHFO, I thought, don't do Sammy Guevara versus Matt Hardy ever again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. I, I, was, I was thinking, is, is, he, oh God, is he working around? Last Rampage? place you want to be near is somewhere that Sammy yeah. can throw you down. <laughs> I, 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 was like, I thought, oh, and then he'd like, oh God. It's just like bullseye on top of bullseye, this. Or like anti bullseye on top of anti bullseye, like, oh God. This is better than uh, Brandy Rose and Dan Lambert. Thank God that's over. Oh my God, my Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. <laughs> oh, we're not getting that either. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Thank God. This is uh, the one thing we didn't want to happen. <laughs> again, I'm gonna, if you're going to regurgitate storylines and booking devices, I'll regurgitate a take. Why can't I just watch Darby Allen versus Andrade work a match on Dynamite and they get four <laughs> and a quarter stars and it would be awesome for the 15 minutes it lasts? I've got, no one's got any emotional investment in this. It's not... Don't build a saga out of everything. Don't build everything for three months. The more you build it for three months, the more you just... It's hack stuff. It's so funny. Imagine doing the list. I build everything for three months, except the title feud. <laughs> remember the picture you posted when Andrade got released? Walking down the yeah. street. Oh, Sexy is outright. Amazing. And then, like, you know, we're in the we're in the list writing game. So, hypothetically, one of us was to write a list. Like, uh, ten dream matches for Andrade. Like, this guy had these classics in NXT and this roster full of these new faces that he gets to fight. And you get to entry number six, Darby Allen. He'll probably try and buy him. And like, imagine there's kind of an Oliver Twist story where he's a boy and he hasn't got a clue what he's talking about anymore. Just, <laughs> because, do, just do the match. Yeah. Just like, do the not match. in a million years would you summon up the storyline. It's like, yeah, when Andrade fails to purchase Darby Allen from Sting, not everything needs to build a storyline. Just do Andrade versus Darby Allen for 14 minutes on Dynamite. Easy. Yeah. Come with me, Darby. I'll take you to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) 
Then we got uh, Death Triangle Pack and Penta El Zero Miedo versus either the Kings or the Knights of the Black Throne, depending on who you ask in the AEW's graphics department. I'll call them the Kings of the Black Throne because that's what they're called. I've got toxic juice on my buttons. <laughs> Malachi Black, Brody King. Uh, my, what a spanking button. <laughs> <laughs> Some of my favorite Seinfeld characters. That's absolutely incredible. So Pac is uh, Pac's blindfolded. Uh, Alex Abrahantes uh, brings him down. He's got so he's leading him down basically, and he actually starts the match off wearing the blindfold and uses his senses to avoid getting twatted by Malachi Black. Basically, I mean, he said he could see in that vignette last week. So just to forget that, did they? They went to the trouble of making it. Was affected, not his outlook. Ah. Let's do some flips, lads. <laughs> Keep it simple. So anyway, he trips. Malachi Black uh, trip gets tripped by Pack, who uh, drop running drop kicks him, and then pulls off the the blindfold too. To be fair, a great reaction. Uh, and then he and Penta take out both members uh, of the Kings of the Black Throne with with simultaneous flip dives. When we get back into the ring, Pack is holding Black down. He, uh, he he allows Penta to hit that kick to the ass drop kick thing that he does, uh, and they continue to beat him down until in comes Brody King. Uh, to, to level things off, nail Pack with an overhand clubbing blow, and that allows uh, Malachi Black's team to take control as we go to a break. When we come back, Pack gets to Penta. Penta gets the hot tag, uh, sling blades on both opponents. It's a backstabber. Pack gets a blind tag, trade strikes with Malachi Black. This is what we want. Uh, Malachi Black gets the upper hand. Uh, he gets a running drop kick, but then Pack fights back with a German suplex and a brain buster for a two. Penta takes out King, uh, does his step-up flip dive, uh, and then he and Pac both hit thrust kicks on Black. They go for that fear factor stomp thing that they do, but in the midst of all this, uh, King pushes Pac off the top. Uh, the referee's distracted by all this, and Malachi Black misses Penta. The, they hit that Dante's Inferno finisher of theirs, which is just lovely to see every time, and they get the victory, Sige. Mr. So Cool, stop making it lame. This miss spot was great. The way the time did, like the full, like, smattering of the mist. I, I love mist in wrestling. Everyone loves mist in wrestling. The fact that they're making it a little bit lame in the follow-up to the misting is, like, it's, it's bad. Just like Mr. School, how, why can't it be enough to just, like, really sting someone's eyes and incapacitate them and win with, like, this really cool wrestling visual that looks totally badass? Just do the mist. This match was on the lower end of very high expectations, though I did think it was very good. Um, everything that Pac and Andrade do together is absolutely magic, impactful, heart-pounding. Like, the jump and knee strike. It's like, how have you not exploded some poor bastard's face when you do that? It looks awesome. Everything Pac and Malachi did was absolutely sensational. I don't think they hit the gear I was expecting when you see this match graphic. Fell short of the best version yeah, of the match fair. I made up in my head. And I also thought that they didn't do enough with Brody King in terms of mm. presenting him as this look at him guy. Look at this unit and what he can do. I understand they're probably saving the. I can do like a Tony Euro as well. And I'm like eight foot tall and like a bit bulky. Mm. And how awesome does it look as a result of that? They're probably saving that, but at the same time, do more. Even something that would have really benefited this match was like this incredibly dominant, methodical control sequence. Like, watch out when this guy's around because he can really destroy you. It just felt like he was there. I said, I said it felt like, it's not quite the same, but it felt like Daniel Bryan and Eric Rome, and they're just like, oh, here's the big guy I've got to take care of things. It's like, you can do, I, even I, with my limited knowledge of him and talking to you guys, 
know how much more he could pull off. But what did you make of it? Uh, Mostly the same. Um, maybe a bit more critical because I was more underwhelmed. And the the good wrestling we talk about always not being enough is like the very good wrestling not always being enough in AEW. That it's better than the good that say like most WWE format matches will give you. But as we'll see later on in the show, that doesn't necessarily hold up if the story's not that engaging or the like it was a bit a bit, move, bit movesy this one with a Z more than it was moves to furnish any sort of great story. It didn't feel conclusive. Like maybe the mist has something to do with that, but I'll love the mist too. So I'm not going to bury the mist. But it didn't feel as conclusive as I would have liked. Um, the vibes were wrong, and they affect everything in AEW. And I think that was happening for me on the show at this point. Uh, yeah, they probably are saving Brody King, but I actually thought this was the time to unleash him because Pack and Penta should theoretically, especially because they're in a program with them, should theoretically represent the biggest challenge that the House of Black have got. This should, for them, really be a march to the tag belts, and it's only because they're in such a kind of meaty story with these two that they should have any bother. And the fact that Brody King was saved for something else didn't really work for me here. And just on the arrangement of the match, about once every four months or so in AEW, the crowd remind AEW that if you really wanted to, and he really wanted to, Penta could probably be the world champion. He was kind of the fourth guy in this match, but the fans received him as the, the top one. Like he, the response that he was getting for everything he was doing to me was bigger than anything else. But unfortunately, he is marginalised. The Lucha Brothers as champions were marginalised to such an extent that he just always feels like he's treading water. And sometimes he only works at that level too. I'm not saying that like he's entirely blameless in this. Mm. But the fans that have got a relationship with him have got a very deep one. And I felt in this, he wasn't supposed to be the profiled figure, but the fans were wanting him to be that. So it kind of knackered the dynamic a bit between the noise that you were getting and the match that was playing out. The advert break wasn't ideal. None of this was ideal. And I think like all of it contributed to a very underwhelming feeling from something yesterday. I was super confident to preview as like a nailed on banger. I think it felt like way, way short for a number of different contributing factors. Uh, then we go to Adam Cole, the Brandon Cutler video. He is pissed off. Uh, we talked about this on the preview. How is he going to recover? And, and he did exactly what you two basically said. He said he's fed up of hearing that Orange Cassidy beat him. It was a fluke. Didn't count anyway. His record reflects just that. Um, he's got his undefeated singles record, and yet he still doesn't get the respect. He's one of the best damn wrestlers on the planet, and he has been for years. Uh, but everyone's going to see a new side. In two nights, uh, he's going to fight Evil Uno, and after he hurts him and obviously beats him, the entire world is going to know what he wants. Yeah, he's going to win in eight minutes and declare his title intentions. That's the long and short of all of this. Um, it's what he does after Rampage. That's the most important thing because at present, Page versus Cole doesn't feel enormous. Every main event pay-per-view of AEW has felt enormous, whether it's been executed well or not. This doesn't really feel that yet. It's a question for you. It just popped into my head. Feel free to say no. Would it? Would, would the like fire be lit if you just took? It's very rare that I say this. The WWE thing that they did, i.e., the bit with Drew, I believe in NXT. Drew's just won or retained the title, and in comes uh, Undisputed Era. Adam Cole booms. I know it was his debut, obviously back then, but something like that maybe. Yeah, kick after the, he's just you know he's just won this Texas death. Just kick the piss out of uh, Hangman Page, absolutely, and then he can fold in the Young Buck stuff, riffing from the full gear finish. Just needs to get going this one. I actually like this booking a lot because I think it's the sort of thing that 
at this point, two and a half years in, we kind of take for granted out of AEW. Um, I wouldn't have picked this match, like just out of thin air, as AEW appeared to have done for Adam Cole to get him away from Orange Cassidy. But like you start, it made me draw the spider diagrams again, and I love that about AEW. So Adam Cole fights Evil Uno, which draws in the various Dark Order combinations to have matches with the Young Bucks and Red Dragon, which Adam Cole remains in the middle of, and who are the Dark Order best friends with? Hangman Page. So like I just, you've got, what, 30 guys to pick from, and they pick the exact right ones, have a really fun match, and spin off into all those other things instead, and that will probably generate the heat for the pay-per-views. Just Beyond just, happen. I'm number one in the rankings. It's, it's all of that as well. But it does, yeah. It, it needs a bit more fire in its belly, I think. Ruby Soho took on Nyla Rose next. Uh, Soho attacked Nyla Rose before the bell, but then gets nailed with a lariat by the brilliant uh, Nyla Rose. Um, fights back, trips, so- soccer kick, uh, but Rose catches her in the corner and turns it into a Samoan drop for a two count. And, and Nyla Rose dominates for a while here, uh, including through the ad break. Uh, they're jockeying for position on the apron when we come back. And Soho picks up her opponent in a fireman's carry and just drops her on the apron. Um, there's a back and forth between her and Vicky, which allows Rose to recover and hit a spine buster on the floor. When we get back into the ring, Soho hits that no future kick. But Vicky pulls Rose's leg from under the ropes and, and pops it on there to, uh, to break up the count. So Soho goes after Vicky. Rose recovers, hits her backbreaker. Uh, Soho goes for a top rope hurricane runner, but Rose catches it. And then Soho completely whiffs uh, on that kick again. Rose hits a sent on beast bomb. One, two, three. The right winner here, but what did you make of the match, Hamlet? Um, I didn't hate it, but other than just that whiff, there was a couple of other points of, it'd be harsh to call them botches, but there was certainly like, was points of hesitation that seemed to come at the worst time. So I was finding myself getting back in and then I would be pulled out again. And I would say that was, I don't want to, Ruby Soho has been taking a few pelters lately for like some of these matches not going so well. So I don't just want to pin that on her. I'd rather say, well, it was like a chemistry thing. But the positive end of that is I thought Nyla Rose really shone. Yeah. Um, we've kind of talked about how she's probably now like a, a minimum, like a next in line person. She's worked away. She is a wrestler currently, and I love this about AEW. She's a wrestler currently that feels like she's improving every time you watch her. Like, it's just a nice feeling when you can like see such obvious progression because whether it's happening on darker elevation or whether it's just reps in the background, that when she comes back into the spotlight, it's awesome. And then she comes back in the spotlight and it's more awesome than it was the last time. So you are on that, you're on that trip to this title match with her. And that wasn't lost in this match, but I don't think this match was particularly the most effective vehicle to continue it on. The power bomb at the finish looked great. The beast bomb. Yep. That's pretty much it. This left no impression on me whatsoever. Like it would be difficult even if it was better than if this was a gentleman's three, I still wouldn't have remembered much from it because the crowd weren't into it. It's kind of ready for the main event at this point. Um Ruby Soho like a very bad run. She's had a very bad AEW run. Um it's a shame. Mm. I'm celebrate that. I don't feel like taking the piss out of her for it. But she had a very bad AEW run. Completely underwhelming. What was the finish? Was it a Pillman Jr.-esque make them look like a geek intentional botch? Or did Nyla Rose just think, I know how to save this by doing something awesome because the senton, which, it, yeah, that was memorable as well. It was so quick thinking. And if it wasn't quick thinking, why make Ruby Soho look like a dickhead? You say that now. WWE this what could they be doing like a lost confidence angle is this like you know they're, they're the listening company the finger on the pulse company it's a bit too effective 
Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. If it was like, because you say that was either Fantastic Instincts for a memorable finish or the Pillman Jr. intended because we're going in another direction. What if they've heard that and Ruby Soho's like, well, I am a great wrestler, but I'll show it this way for a bit instead. You can only do a lost confidence storyline when the audience is still with the person involved in it. Uh, and this audience is not with Ruby Soho at all. That's fair. Uh, right, the Gun Club corners Jungle Boy backstage. Uh, start a big brawl. Tries to fight him off, but numbers game catches up with him. And they beat him up, chuck him out in the snow, and then leg it when Luchasaurus and Christian Cage show up. Can I shock you? What? Quite like this. <laughs> I, I just like the fact, oh, we've got some snow. Yeah. It looks horrible good. to bump on outside at the best of times. Yeah, it's not as nice to fall into as people remember. Yeah, I just thought they've just made use of a happenstance of a visual for a 30-second angle, like, again, though, <laughs> why make a saga out of Gun Club versus <laughs> yeah. Jurassic Express? Do that much. Um, what killed the dinosaurs? Ice Age, so. Good TST, baby. Well, they why didn't did kill a dinosaur. They killed didn't the they do more with that, actually? That's well, we guess it's his weakness. That's actually better than what we got. It should have been Luchasaurus yeah. that left outside and locked the door. I was reminded of, you know when the, um, the corporation battered Shawn Michaels, DX fed him to the wolves, and it, that was in the snow, and there was snow on the lens and blood on the windscreen, and like the blood and the snow was mixing together. It was like, yeah, I'm completely with Cedric. It's a cool visual. Use it. This angle is lame. This tag division is mid. Fix it. Shouldn't be. Fix it. Like, roster's too, roster's too full Every and loaded. you reel off. For everything it feels. Just gives Red Dragon versus uh, Silver and Reynolds. I'm assuming we're going to get that, actually, because of mm. the way that the whole things are converging. But, like, I'd like to think that Red Dragon are good again. I know Kyle Riley's just had a wee in. Good luck. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah. I like the Briscoe Brothers. I really like the Briscoe Brothers. Where's a title match in the tag division? And I'm extending this back to the previous champions. It feels like the thing that could headline a show or the thing you desperately, urgently want to yeah. see. It's just not there at the moment. But Moxley and Danielson is a tag team. They're going to fix everything, yep. as they always do. Uh, right, we get a promo from the world champion. Uh, Hangman Page comes out, chats to Tony Schiavone, uh, who asks about the upcoming Texas death match, which is next week, yes? Uh, yeah. On Dynamite. Yeah. Um, uh, Page says he's been champion for 81 days, and he's defended this title twice. He came out at the beginning of the year, he begged, he pleaded for a challenger, and he's still here waiting. Uh, he's got a five-month-old baby at home. Just a quick check. What's that like? Wonderful and nightmarish, depending. Five months is when you get a bit used to it. Yeah. Like, he's, they're not human beings at, like, one, like, to zero to three months. They're not human beings. Like, they don't smile at you. They don't give you anything back. They're like, these squirmy little things. You love them. Yeah. Like, looking in their eyes and just, when they're, when a newborn baby is asleep on you, right? It's just like, it's wonderful. Yeah. You feel like you've completed life. Yeah, like I just hate when someone says, "Doesn't it look like the mum or the dad?" I'm like, "It looks like a blob." Here's what he wants: it's just a blob to me. But it's still like the screen. How do they make so much noise? <laughs> um, five months to start to smile at you a bit, mash up a bit of carrot, and just stick yeah. it on the little spoon and see if they get a bit of a kick out of it. You know, yeah. five months is uh, you're over the hardest bit. Then they turn two. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty much like mine and nine and six it is a series of sweet spots followed by oh Jesus Christ and then another <laughs> sweet spot for a bit and then oh not this bit I miss the old Jesus Christ bit yes <laughs> I just like those little asides that we have with you too um, anyway he talks about um, 
I like them more than I like this fucking segment. <laughs> There's a foot of snow outside. His flight home's probably getting cancelled, which they also put on his graphic. <laughs> doesn't know his flight's already been cancelled. <laughs> uh, he doesn't give a toss about the match next week. I've made that a bit nicer um, because he needs something, anything, and he needs it tonight. And he says, I know you're back there, Lanch. Uh, get down here. Uh, let's have it out tonight. And here comes Dan Lambert again. Oh, good. Um, and he says, oh, I'm surprised you even show up, showed up here. Soft-ass cowboy like you. Probably be feel better off in Cleveland. Um, Paige tells him to shut up. Uh, and then Jake Roberts is there. And he says, <laughs> <laughs> totally does, not he? <laughs> I think Matt Raines is the one who tweeted saying, uh, Jake Roberts sounds like the Dudley Boys impression of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, I'm going to muck with others. what? You start to act different. You're looking behind you. You're having bad dreams. You're having a nightmare. What is that? Do you smell something? I smell something. I smell fear. Uh, Lance Archer comes out. Well, he's got five months old, so I'm going to what he's on about. Lance Archer comes out and does a baby face turn by telling those two to shut up and uh, guns it down to the ring. Page suicide dives out, sends Archer into the ring steps. Lambert twats him with a chair. Uh, Page no sells it. He goes to hit the bookshot lariat, but Archer hits him with a chair. Uh, Drops Paige onto the steps and then slams in with a blackout through the announce table and announces uh, he's going to be the new world champion. He doesn't give a damn what anyone thinks. Thank God for curves because like the, the ideal <laughs> build to a world title match is you think, can't wait for this. This is going to be amazing. I don't bloody know who's going to win. Well, I know who's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the build for this match... Like the physicality between them, either last week or the one before, was so poor that you think they're not even going to do the absolute bare minimum for a title match on TV and make it any good. So thank God for that curve because I thought physically this looked a slightly bit hotter. I got the impression of oh, I'm going to have some three and three quarter star fun without being hugely emotionally invested next week. But everything before that, if the promos are so awkward that the guy who you're cutting them on behalf, have to say, shut up, you're talking rubbish. Don't do the promos. I think there was a bit of a tell in Paige's demeanour and dialogue as well. I think even he was saying, I know that you know that this is below me and below all of this and below this belt. So I'm going to like try and talk around the fact. If you have to put your champion in that situation, don't book it. Yeah. Book something better. You know, like, I, I've like... Found this quite dispiriting. Again, a show that I'm, you know, I've made it clear at this point, clearly not enjoying after the opening segment, and a like yet more focus on an angle that I think has missed quite badly. I don't Should think Brian Cage. He's got that heel energy of yeah. like, oh, he's, yeah. he's he's healing on the company. Cool just, matches they had, cool chemistry, and he's like, beat him. It's yeah. one, they're one one. You could have easily used that. The fact that Brian Cage could kind of play not the Cardona. GCW, Lawler, ECW, but something not too far away from it of I hate this company, I'm tired of this company, I'm probably going to leave this company, but I'll take that with us or something like that. That would have been the way. Lambert could have come out and done... Don't get Lambert in the way. You know what I'm saying? If you're, <laughs> gonna, if you're, gonna do, if you're not leaving Jake with Lance, Lambert comes out and shoots on Hook, you get heat. The right sort of heat, not... Well, what we've talked about before. You know, like sort of, you know, you can prove... It's a hat on a hat with Jake and bloody Lambert with Lance, who also talks. It's, you know, it's sort of like you can prove anything with facts. You can, like, use numbers to your, your advantage. Like, Hangman Page, as AW champion, has wrestled 90 minutes. That's loads. That's absolutely loads. That's more than Kenny Omega probably did in his first three months as AW champion total. But he's saying it, and I think most people are feeling it. 90 minutes means nothing when it's in reality two matches, mm. and a lot of, like, 
fluffy bollocks build. Like it, like one is one is. What are you talking about? You've had absolutely loads of Hangman Page. It doesn't feel like it, does it? Mm. He's right to acknowledge that. That felt like a tell from the locker room from Tony Carter. I'm listening. Hangman Page doesn't feel profiled enough. I'm going to fix this before Revolution. I wish they'd not put him in this predicament in the first yes. place. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm a, a kind guy. If Lance Archer wins the world title next week, I'll bring back the Rampage rap. I'll bring it back. <laughs> I offered to it last week with the title match on Rampage. And unfortunately, they, they went the way we thought they were going to go. The, the Barry twist, Barry from EastEnders twist at the end of 2022 when you've done all these unwinnable wages and then just one week say, I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> and just do a Rampage rap for Christmas. Uh, right, it is time for the main event. No, dear, that's wrong. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. Chris Jericho's here. <laughs> Uh, he's addressing Santana and Ortiz and what they did last week. He says, ignoring me during the match last week was embarrassing. It was disrespectful. Why did you do that? What, bloody Eddie Kingston? Because you started together. We started AEW together, he says. No one's got more influence than me in AEW. I'm like bloody Kendall Jenner or some bollocks. Or Grayson Waller. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I want to hear from you face to face why you did what you did last week. We're having a team meeting, inner circle team meeting next week. And everyone's going to show up because attendance is mandatory. Hey, AEW, this is why people are really critical when you go to ludicrous lengths to explain why there's a camera backstage, because you do a segment where you don't explain why there's a camera backstage. Yes. This is why people get arsy about that. Just figure your shit out, and ideally do it with less Chris Jericho, because this was irritating. Yeah, the weekly inner circle stuff has not really been missed. I think individually a lot of those segments were great. Team meeting's one of the latest synonyms, isn't it? He's, yeah. It's like he's gone down his list. It's because Nick can't spreadsheet at this point. <laughs> Individually, some of them were great, but it's one of those things where I was like, ah, maybe they've romanticised the pandemic era of AEW a little bit. <laughs> and have ourselves a parlay. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome, that. Yeah, that was one, awesome. of, one of the good ones. The that blood one. and guts build was class. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that next week on the preview for AEW Dynamite, of course. But now it is time for the main event. How do you want to do this? Do you want me to just run through the entire thing and then give your thoughts? You, me, Hamflood, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, cool. All right. Uh, because the reason why I ask is normally I do it and it's like a you know 20-minute match I'll run through. 40 minutes left on this show. <laughs> 39 was probably wrestling here. So if you want that takes, just skip forward for about two minutes, basically. Um <laughs> MJF early on obviously uses underhanded, some might say, tactics uh, to get in the first shot. And then Punk uh, tangles him up in the ropes and they do sort of a seesaw twat. You fall backwards, pull your legs back, put you, hit you again sort of thing. They fight out on the floor. They fight out into the crowd. Uh, Punk goes after him and crotches MJF on a railing. MJ, uh, Punk grabs at, grab, drags MJF back to the ring, beats him down, uh, goes to the elbow drop, but MJF just rolls out of the way. Uh, Punk goes after him, though. He's, he's dominating him early on these first five minutes. It's all CM Punk. Um, but as he goes for a spear, MJF dodges it, and Punk goes uh, shoulder and arm first into the ring post. He's injured his, his, his left arm. This is something MJF is going to target throughout the match. Uh, he even drops a knee on Punk's wrist as we go to our first commercial break. Uh, when we come back... Punk starts his comeback, strikes a swinging neck breaker. Uh, he hits that corner knee, uh, goes for a rolling, uh, running bulldog. Punk calls for the GTS, but of course MGF, the wily git that he is, rolls out to the apron uh, where Punk just slams him instead. Uh, Punk lets a fan strike MGF. That's a DQ. That's one win. Um, uh, climbs the ropes, but MGF <laughs> trips him and hits a top rope takeover for a near fall. Um, so, again, he's just getting battered here, uh, MJF. Punk uh, 
gets stopped, though, by MJF pulling Bryce Remsburg, the official, into the way. And uh, as the referee's getting out of the way and his back is turned, um, MJF grabs, well, he grabs tape that he's got on him around Punk's neck and pulls that, pulls him in to put him in a sleeper. And he chokes out CM Punk uh, to the astonishment of this Chicago crowd. The referee calls for the bell. They did the arm drop spot. I nearly got really angry because I thought they were going to do the one, two, you know, Hogan. I was up for it. I was up for it. But I was like, oh, you can't have that. And also do the, you know, the one. I'm thinking it's WWE because they just do the one arm drop thing now. And then when they did all three, I was like, even better. That's like cherry on the icing on the cake sort of thing. Referee calls for it. Everyone's like... I'm sorry, what? They're, they're looking at their watch. I'm looking at my watch going, sorry? What's happening? So MGF celebrates, and as his arm is raised by Bryce Remsburg, the tape falls on the floor. The, the, <laughs> the music plays, the celebration <laughs> starts. No, um, in the midst of all this, uh, they do that wonderful spot where the referee looks down. The, the Some might say heel. Um, uh, is caught completely red-handed. And Bryce Ramsworth goes, I'm not having this, especially not, not in this where I've allowed you to brawl into the crowd and do everything else. You know, we want a proper result. The match is going to be restarted. I think it's a little bollocks, that, to be perfectly honest. But regardless, <laughs> the match restarts. Um, there's a nice bit with uh, MJF and Bryce getting in his face. Bryce Ramsworth shoves him, Punk immediately rolls him up and gets a near fall uh, off that. Um, Punk just obviously furious once he wakes up with what's happened. Doesn't do the 10 punches in the corner, 20 to the absolute adoration of this Chicago crowd. Uh, MJF sends Punk crashing out to the floor. Um, when we come back, uh, Punk counters a heat seeker, hits a springboard clothesline. MJF spills out to the floor. Punk hits a tope suicida, but in the process tweaks his knee on the dive. So basically, I think it was his entire left side that was buggered at that point. Um, MJF regains control as a result of that. Uh, puts him in an arm trap, uh, death lock. Um, Punk reverses, turns it into into an STF, but can't hold it on, can't really put the torque that he wants to on it because his arm's buggered as well as his leg, like I say. He gets MJF up in the fireman's carry. His knee gives out. MJF rolls him up. That gets a near fall. They trade cradles, trade punches. Punk hits a reverse Hurricane Rana in the process. He sort of lands on his head as well, so they both go down. Uh, When they get back up, MJF chop blocks Punk's knee repeatedly. Uh, he goes to the salt of the earth. Punk fights out of it, but MJF hits a pump handle slam for a two count. Again, uh, MJF takes the official. He's out of position. Low blow on CM Punk, and he even hops up onto the ropes for a uh, rope-assisted pin, but CM Punk still manages to kick out at two. We go to another break. When we come back, MJF still targeting Punk's leg. Punk comes back, cradle, drop kick. It's his corner knee, uh, but in the, mo- in the midst of all this, MJF just bites Punk's hand and forehead. As they're perched on the top, Punk goes, oh, okay, biting, are we? He bites uh, MJF, and for the first time in... 17 years, I think. 17 years is right, I think, yeah. He hits a bloody Pepsi plunge from the top. But again, his knee's buggered, so he can't really make the pinfall. Both men go for tombstones uh, before Punk reverses it. Hands a, lands a roundhouse kick, top rope elbow drop, fantastic near fall. Punk calls for the GTS, but MJF just, just rolls himself out of the ring, and out comes Wardlow, and his face, oh, I don't know what his face says, to be perfectly honest. He walks down, steps over MJF's basically lifeless body at that point, has a brilliant 
we're going to use it in lists, uh, face off with CM Punk. Uh, backs off, Punk rolls MJF into the ring and is sort of exchanging words with Wardlow, who's on the outside. The official's exchanging words as well and trying to kick him out. And then MJF nails CM Punk with the beautiful diamond ring for the one, two, three. He ends CM Punk's undefeated streak effectively beats him, well, three times, technically, DQ, <laughs> choked him out and pinned him. So no real need for a rematch. I'm joking, of course. I'm breathless, not just from running through that whole thing, but what a main event, Sid, an all-timer. Yeah, an all-timer. This is one. Of, this is the reason why I watch professional wrestling, and this is professional wrestling that's rarely been done as well as this in terms of not just in-ring content, but in terms of the, the ramifications of the results. Um, just the sheer drama executed. This is so perfectly calibrated to my tastes because this was Tanahashi-level craft applied to the North American TV medium. I was born and raised on North American wrestling TV. My taste evolved to get into, like, the best of Puro, and then you get, like, the craft in the depth of one and the sheer unadulterated drama of the other. What I love about this match as well is, like, they even fold in storyline elements from the entire build and the work them into the basic structure of a pro wrestling match. MGF has been saying all along that you're robotic punk. You are insert name of town. I'm happy to be here. And you just need to wipe the smile off your face, basically, because you don't belong here. You're too old. Um, you've taken ages to put away people. It goes 40 minutes. Just an incredible, exquisite little detail. And what happens for the first five minutes? Not only does the babyface kick the heels goddamn ass like he deserves for five full minutes with no response because he has to cheat to win because it's CM Punk, the punk rocker and an establishment guy doing classic rock because he's finally in a competent promotion that he doesn't have to try and change from within. So when you see him just doing this... It's still exhilarating. So for five minutes, the guy's kicking MGF's ass, as the babyface should, after this specific kind of build, and he's having fun doing it. The kind of fun that MGF says, you know, he shouldn't be having that. He should not be doing this. And sure as hell, after he bounces him up and down the steps, like he did it over the holidays, fun. He gets a fan to smack him in the chest, fun. He does the Harley Race spot because he loves Harley Race, and he loves just being a wrestling guy again. Too much fun. And then he gets... So giddy through the shine that he just does uh, an error, a strategic error that works in the context of the story. doesn't make him look like an idiot. He's just happy to be there in Chicago of all places. He does a big man spot, and he just posts himself in the shoulder. That specific injury is ingenious because he can't do the go-to-sleep subsequent to it. It informs one of the best sell jobs I've seen in North American wrestling for years and years and years and years. Second in a row for Punk, sorry, after the Wardlow yes. one. Yeah. Like he's selling in that and this together, like on another level to what anybody else is doing. It's just right? absolutely incredible because he's, 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 just, he's not just doing the thing where he's like smacking and trying to get some life back into it. He's not just telling you all of the time, securing your intense emotional investment that this really hurts. He can't do John Cena's STF, which is an amazing spot to do in the first instance, given all of the build but he can't finish it. He does a one-armed goddamn tombstone because he can't, or an attempt at a one-armed tombstone because he can't finish it. It's just the way that they arrive at their signature spots to swing the momentum. Just how cohesive and immersive was this goddamn match? One of my favorite MGF spots to set up the Fujiwara is when he 
does the double foot stomp to the uh, to the wrist, mm. and CM Punk is grasping at the rope to do that. He's not just put his hands there in like the seventh or eighth minute to facilitate the spot. It's because he's desperately trying to cling on to this match for dear life, and then he gets the double foot stomp. MJF's facials, his body language, the stuff he's doing that you're not really paying attention to, you're not thinking about because you're feeling it is great. Like CM Punk spent loads of this match selling and selling and selling. Watch what MJF is doing at this point as well. His facials, his body language, the way he's pacing it, the way he's rolling out of the ring, the way he's maximizing every bit of space between the moves was unbelievable. Just one thing on the dusty finish as well. I had the same thought. I didn't conceive of the idea that they could restart the match. I just thought, what are they going to do for 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Hamlet, I'm sorry, I might step on your toes with this All take, right. has often had this thing where they said they should finish a dynamite, the scheduled card early for the illusion of, oh, it's a real sport, this, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to chuck out a rampage match mm-hmm. early because there's TV time remaining. I thought that's what they were going to do. I genuinely thought that's what they are going to do with this dusty finish. And no, they restart the match as well. The music as well. Yeah. Like the committed to the whole goddamn bit. Justin Roberts was so dejected to announce him as the winner. Yeah. Like it was a, the, the delivery was so well thought through with that. But. And two more things before I let Hamlet talk for 10 minutes as much as me. <laughs> I've, my favorite thing about MGF, and I've said this since day one of following AEW, is that he is the old school wrestler who will do a new school kind of move or a wild spot, and it'll mean so much because of when he does it and how much his character will refuse to do it. He does Made in Japan, and he gets over as a hypocritical heel. So I thought you are the headlock takeover guy, <laughs> and now you're doing these insane head drops, and you're not a purist after all. You may, he makes you resent him for doing something incredibly cool. And the Pepsi plunge spot is the spot of the year that will not get bettered as the spot of the year. And it, the best thing about it was dot 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 the way in which it was sold, just a, a TV masterpiece. This, and so I haven't even got to the goddamn replay. You can talk about the replay. <laughs> sold, executed, and not even built to the genius of the Pepsi Plunge because it doesn't exist. So people can go triple. He's allowed to do it now. It existed because it was an opportunistic moment for CM Punk while they were at the top rope, and he was like, "What can I? What can I do here?" You know, like. MJF had stoked his competitive fires more so than in that opening five minutes where he was having too much fun with him that he could dust that off because he found himself in the position to do it, just like he's been finding himself through the duration of his AEW run. That is nothing more than a like spectacular continuation of this entire CM Punk story. He's not doing it on night one. He's not dragging Darby Allen at the corner to execute a Pepsi plunge because people want to see the movie he could never do in WWE. He's doing it because they happen to be in that position and he needs to go deep into the bag of tricks. And that was one of the billion things I loved about this match. Um, to build up to the dusty finish, so you have CM Punk in this like control period of just everybody having a great time at MJF's expense, which they always do in the MJF matches as well. They always make a point of giving the babyface that mm. very specific kind of shine. He knows what he's doing. Because his character <laughs> yeah. warrants it every time. It's brilliant. Um, and uh, MJF was cheating and Sidgwick pointed out about the, like, you have to watch MJF all the time now because of the things he is doing is what elevates his matches and his his personal ability above so many others. He was cheating in the way that you get away with it. He was stealing opportunities with little seconds, whether it be little escapes or little extra digs, you know, like the... I poke, the, I didn't mention the I poke. The stuff, the, like, I don't want to be critical of them, but the stuff FTR love but don't do enough anymore. 
Like it's and it's the stuff that they like really and understandably celebrate and toast, but there's probably not enough of it in the the body of like the bait. It's it's always done in a very pantomime way. MJF wasn't wanting to draw your attention because he wasn't wanting to draw the referee's attention, but he was stealing every moment. And you're thinking, my God, you're gonna like you're gonna just take every horrible advantage you can. And then he basically does the biggest, most bombastic one of all in plain sight. Bryce Remsberg was Eric Bischoff looking at the uh, mirror and not seeing the Ultimate Warrior. Everybody in the building, everybody on TV, he's got tape, he's garroting him, and you can't see this. And you're feeling that, you know? And then this finish occurs. AEW has existed for nearly three years and has lionised every contribution Dusty Rhodes has made to pro wrestling. They've just turned the Dusty Finish babyface. That was the one thing that people could never make their mind upon, and they've just come up with the perfect execution of it. Inspired. Absolutely inspired. Bryce Remsburg was incredible as well. Sorry, I just no, no, it's put okay. that over. So good in his role here, because it was important in how you saw that and it not feeling too silly. The visual poetry of every week in these incredible promos that we've spent as much time on those podcasts as we are on this one talking about the match, because that's this angle. This is the, the feud of the year and already one of AEW's best ever feuds, in my opinion. But, like, the visual poetry of every week, MJF thinking he's played his hand, only for CM Punk to still have something in the chamber because this is who you're dealing with, this is who you're sparring with, to then literally play his hand and raise it to the air and watch the tape fall to the ground. Because yet again, he's not learning. Every single week he thinks he's got Punk's number and every single week Punk comes through. And he just he's too arrogant to like to think, done. This week, finally done him, yet again doesn't. To be able to use that as a physical thing within the match as part of this dusty finish, loved it. There was like there was loads of those as well. I wish that like we're twenty years in the future, so I can say this is one of my favourite matches ever, and it not feels so immediate mm. because I feel like this is one of my favourite matches ever. Like I wish this was seven hours from now, so I can be home watching it again. I was about to say, I love that. it that much. I was going to say, like, I really love working you boys, but I can't wait till the day finishes today. My <laughs> missus is out tomorrow, so I'm going to watch it then. <laughs> I try, I, like I need to watch this again. I already loved it that much, um, and for a company that more than once and very egregiously has knackered something with a glaring production error. Can you say any more good things about the delivery of the Wardlow payoff? You don't even know until the replay that Wardlow has slipped the ring to MJF. Jesus in Christ. Like, not only was that so crucial to how, your, like, your experience of the match, like, you, are we being permitted to cheer the... Wardlow babyface to he has stepped aside. It's not a physical thing, but it's it's almost more than a punch to the face, isn't it? It's like I'm not going to hit him. I'm going to let you attack him. That's a flagrant abuse of Wardlow's duties, and you're witnessing it. And it's <gasps> you know, like the third or fourth gasp of the match is Wardlow stepping aside for Punk to finish the job, and it's only in the replay that you see that he was the one that basically put the bullet in the chamber that put it into Sam Punk's head. Amazing, absolutely. This is the company that paid the. Like the Explosions Company, this is the company that did the cardboard bump for Chris Jericho. That like deserves all the flowers because they've knackered things up in this exact arena before. What a fantastic finish and possibly an even better execution of that finish. And I've always gone on about it because I desperately wanted this to be proven right. CM Punk says you only win because of Wardlow and the and the beautiful diamond ring in promo one. Yeah, and there's like elite goddamn tier stuff. And I know that doesn't mean much because it's in the name of the company. Like, the marquee says elite. Uh, this was yeah an all-timer. This is up there nearly with the Paige Omega storyline for me in terms of the details, in terms of how much you want to see it, in terms of just week-to-week investment. Just the, the, that detail was un-goddamn believable. Like, that's genuinely, like, all-time stuff. I wouldn't be me if I didn't mention it, would I? MJF goes with the Yankee stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
God damn. Like, just everybody could, everybody can enjoy that because most people were seeing Punk do it against John Cena. You, MJF, are the New York Yankees. And that's who he'd want to be in Chicago as well. What what wasn't there to love about this match? I can't find, like, this is the point. I can't yet find fault with it. And when I do, it's only because I'm going to get even more forensic than I've already wanted (laughs) to be. If Hiroshi Tanahashi was a full-blown heel, he'd work like MJF in this match. Yeah. Just the way that he paced it, the dark arts of just getting the audience to invest in something for 40 minutes, about 30 of which they did just the basics to absolute perfection before they started doing the big spots towards the end. Um, I think, sorry, Cedric, I think it's now harder to, the way the wrestling has changed, I think it's now harder to get the simplistic stuff over, even though it's the stuff that is loyalist to the key tenets of a wrestling match. I just think expectations have changed. I think it's like... Dark arts is always the right term for this because you can see a lot of guys doing the quote-unquote basics and fans sitting on their hands or not coming up mm. at the right points. You've got the two stars as well, and they're great at doing the basics. But like for the first 20 minutes, like the, the 10 minutes before and after the dusty finish, I was like, not doing much here, and I bloody love it. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely bloody love it. But just one more thing on the MGF being the heel Hiroshi Tanahashi comparison. The best thing about Hiroshi Tanahashi is like you can watch him try to win a match every single step of the way. And from going to the shoulder, to the hand, to the forearm, to the knee, basically making the GTS impossible to hit. Chef's kiss. Magnificent. Same punks. Elbow was good. You talk about your collector's items. <laughs> like his, his trajectory on the elbow was good. And it, it, was, it, was just, it wasn't just the execution of the elbow. Again, perfect when to do it. I've never bought that as a finish. No. And I did in this match. I'm visualizing it in like sort of all like bright colors at the moment in my head, thinking about that elbow because it felt like a bit panicked, didn't it? You feel like you see the speed lines off the side of it. I've got to hit this now. When you get a signature and think that's the finish, that's the mark of a genius professional yes. wrestling match because it's just when to do things, how to get things over. So happy for Maxwell as well. Let us know your thoughts on the. Uh, Christ. On the uh, well, on the show and on the main event, obviously on Twitter at What Culture WWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit, and you can sponsor him running the Great North. Oh yes, there. the link you. is on there. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at. If you've got loads of money, you can buy Becoming <laughs> All Elite as well. The Rise of AEW, Amazon, whichever the domain, and you can follow me on Twitter for great takes at M Sidgwick. You can just follow me at Adam Wilborn at What Culture <laughs> WWE uh, for all of us. As I said, uh, and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, of course. But this has been the AW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.